0: Triangles, The Life and Times of an NFL Original Team Season 2, Episode 6, Wandering Years The 1925 National Football League season brought an ending of sorts for Dayton Triangle's owner and coach Carl Stork. That year, the league introduced a new rule prohibiting NFL executives from having direct financial control over league teams. In order to comply with the new rule, League Secretary Stork had to step down as Triangle's business manager, ending an eight-year stint in that role. To handle the team's day-to-day business operations, Stork turned to old friend and the only other person who had ever held the position, Mike Riddell. Riddell was the original business manager of the team before leaving to serve in the military in 1917. He also managed Triangle Park, a role he resumed after returning from service. By 1925, Carl Stork had had enough. He must have felt he had done everything he could do to build local interest in the Triangles but to no avail. Market forces were against him. Half or more of the seats at Triangle Park were empty when the team did play there. It didn't help that the Triangles had been an NFL-also-ran for the last few seasons. Local fans weren't interested in seeing the home team lose. Neither would they come out for teams like the Frankfurt Yellow Jackets. They wanted top teams like Chicago's Bears and Cardinals. Those teams, though, had little to gain from coming to Dayton for a share of a small market box office when they could regularly pull big crowds to their ballparks at home. Therefore, Stork decided the Dayton Triangles would henceforth be a road team. It was Riddell, though, not Stork, who delivered the news to the local press and public. Local sports fans, he told the Dayton Daily News, seemed interested in seeing only one game a week, and that would most likely be a high school or college match. Riddell held out a carrot for the city, however. If Jim City fans show they really miss the pro-grid sport, he said, we will bring it back in 1926. Riddell even dangled the possibility of a home game on November 22nd, one of the team's open dates for the upcoming 1925 season. The National Football League of 1925 was a crowded gaggle of 19 teams, including new franchises in Pottsville, Pennsylvania, Providence, Rhode Island, and for the first time, New York City. The year also marked the return of the Canton Bulldogs. Sam Deutsch, who had bought the Canton franchise in 1924, sold it back to a local investor group. Deutsch kept his Cleveland franchise, though, and there were now two NFL teams called the Bulldogs. As for the Triangles, Riddell worked hard to try to upgrade the team's talent. Perhaps the most notable signing was end Gene Mayle, whom teammates would elect captain. Other newcomers included backfield man Dick Dobelite, guard Al Pop Graham, and yet another Mart, Al's brother and former University of Dayton and Johnny. The numerous holdovers included Hack Abbott, Lou Partlow, Elliot Bonowitz, Lee finner Ken Huffine, Francis Bacon, Ed Sauer, and Kinderdine brothers Hobby and Babe. Gus Redman, after playing baseball into the fall, decided he was finished with a gridiron. Longtime lineman Russell Hathaway moved to Pennsylvania and the Triangles sold his contract to Pottsville. He went on to play two seasons there and part of 1927 in Buffalo before calling it a career. Going into the season, Coach Stork boasted that his team would feature a wide-open offense. It was anything but that. The Triangles opened with a scoreless tie at Rock Island on September 27th. Despite sweltering heat, the game was played at a fast pace. Neither team seriously threatened until the end, when an Abbott 30-yard punt return and pass to Babe Kinderdine brought the ball to the Rock Island 20-yard line as time expired. The following week saw Dayton invade Canton to take on the rebuilt Bulldogs. After a scoreless first half, the triangles wore down giving up a rushing touchdown in the third quarter and a 10-yard touchdown pass in the fourth, losing 14 to nothing. Not only did Dayton lose the game, they were mauled in the box score too. Lou Partlow's last name was spelled H-A-R-T-L-O-W and Gene Males M-A-H-L. After a week off, the Triangles traveled to Michigan to face the Detroit Panthers on October 18th. Detroit beat the Triangle 6-0 on two field goals by Gus Sonnenberg. Dayton's defense played well, but the offense was ineffective, completing only one pass for their only first down on a long Abbott-to-Bacon hookup. All their other passes were intercepted, broken up, or fell incomplete. Elliott Bonowitz had to leave the game with two broken ribs, Detroit dominated the line of scrimmage on defense, never allowing the Dayton offense to find a rhythm. The Triangle's offensive problems continued unabated on October 24th in Philadelphia, where the Frankfurt Yellow Jackets beat them in the mud 3-0 on a fourth-quarter field goal. The score might have been more lopsided, but Frankfurt's offense was almost as inept as Dayton's that day. Rain washed out the next day's scheduled game at nearby Pottsville, sparing the Triangles from having to play twice in two days. In Akron to play the pros on November 1st, things started well for Dayton. Armand Mart's early 60-yard run put the Triangles in position for Abbott's field goal that gave Dayton its only lead and only points of the entire season. Akron rallied in the second half behind longtime Triangles nemesis Fritz Pollard, and won 17 to three. Within a few days, the Triangles lost two stalwarts: Lou Bartlow, who wasn't getting that much playing time anyway, left the Triangles and signed with a nearby semi-pro Armco Blues team. Bartlow would eventually return to the Triangles. Francis Bacon, however, was another story. Bacon accepted an executive position with the Marion Steam Shovel Company of Indiana, where he had grown up. It was the end of Bacon's pro-football career. In a testament to how far the once-mighty triangles were falling, they had to make a goal-line stand at their own one-yard line, and dodge a fourth-quarter field goal attempt by the home team that went wide to preserve a scoreless tie against non-league opponent Steubenville on November 8th. Dayton followed up that forgettable performance with perhaps their best effort of the season the following Sunday, November 15th, in their first-ever visit to Green Bay. The Packers had won 16 consecutive home games spanning a two-year period but the Triangles were on the verge of holding them to a scoreless tie, coming down to the last minute of play. A lightning-quick drive, keyed by three passes and capped off by Vern Llewellyn's short touchdown run, gave Green Bay a 7-0 victory at the end. Although the Triangles were able to generate some offense for a change, they never seriously threatened to score. Instead of a home game on November 22nd, Dayton scheduled a road contest in Chicago against the Cardinals. The home team scored two first-quarter touchdowns, then cruised to a 14-0 win over the Triangles. Patty Driscoll, who had given Dayton fits over the years, only played into the second quarter after banging his nose on the icy field. Cardinals coach Norm Berry substituted freely in the second half to keep his men fresh for their upcoming Thanksgiving Day matchup against the rival Bears. The Triangles never threatened the Chicago goal line. The following Thursday, Thanksgiving Day, found the Triangles without a scheduled game. Armin Mart and Ed Sauer took advantage of the open date, signing one-game contracts to play for Pottsville that day. Gene Mayle had an opportunity to play for the Chicago Cardinals against the Bears, but had to decline because the travel time involved would have interfered with his responsibilities as an attorney in Dayton. The Triangles wrapped up the 1925 season with their first and only visit to the New York Giants at the Polo Grounds on November 29th. In front of 18,000 fans there, New York bounded to a 17-0 lead on the strength of two touchdown passes and a field goal by Jack McBride. Dayton threatened twice on deep passes from Abbott to Mayo, but the Giants held on downs each time on their way to a 23-0 win. Dayton failed to register a win in a season for the first time in team history. The following month, December brought the sad news of the passing of former coach Frank Hinkie from tuberculosis in Southern Pines, North Carolina. The run-up to the 1926 season found Stork and Riddell reconsidering the decision to schedule all games on the road. They decided to float a trial balloon of sorts in October 17's home matchup against the Buffalo Rangers formerly the Bisons, formerly the All-Americans, with more dates possible if attendance was good. The only problem was the triangles were no longer guaranteed of being able to play at the park that shared their name. They might have to play the game at the University of Dayton's stadium instead. The new season saw some turnover. Gone were Ken Huffine and Walt Babe Kinderdine. New faces included back Art Beckley, tackle John Becker and yet another of Almart's younger brothers former University of Dayton quarterback Lou Speaking of Lou's Lou Partlow was conspicuously absent from the initial preseason roster but eventually re-signed with the team With the arrival of Beckley Hank Abbott once again shifted to a running back position as had been the case many times before the triangle season opened auspiciously with a win. This one, a 3-0 victory at Buffalo on October 3rd. Art Beckley kicked a field goal that held up. Dayton had chances to widen the lead, but the triangles were done in by passes that fell past the goal line for touchbacks. An interception at the Dayton 25-yard line stopped a late Buffalo drive to preserve the victory. The following Sunday, October 10th, found Dayton at Pottsville, Pennsylvania, where the Maroons handled the Triangles 24-6. Dayton's only score came on a late touchdown pass from Lumart to Gene Mayle. Then, for the first time since 1924, the Triangles played a home game. The team was able to use Triangle Park after all, and the press hyped the game as best they could. They evoked nostalgia with features on the last remaining Triangles old-timers, Bobby Kinderdine, Lou Partlow, Lee Fenner, and Ed Sauer. They quoted Riddell as saying that future home games would depend on this one. A headline screamed, Large Throng Expected to See Battle. On October 17th at Triangle Park, the large throng was about 1,500 fans, according to the Dayton Herald. The Daily News estimated it more charitably at about 2,000. Either way, it was a much smaller crowd than the one that came to see the Triangles and Cincinnati Celts in 1917. As for the game itself, Dayton had chances, but squandered most of them. Lou Mart briefly evoked memories of his brother Al early, passing to Gene Mayo for a Triangles touchdown, but the extra point attempt failed. Buffalo scored their touchdown, when a Jim Kendrick pass slipped through the hands of two Triangles defenders into the arms of Al Swain, who ran for a touchdown. The made extra point gave Buffalo the lead. A field goal attempt that would have given the Triangles the lead back was blocked, and the Rangers held on to win 7-6. to six. Dayton played no more games that October and would not play another home game the rest of the season. November opened with a non-league game at Redland Field in Cincinnati on the 7th where the Triangles battled the Potter Tramps to a scoreless tie. Dayton failed to move the line of the Cincinnati team, which was augmented by a couple of former West Virginia players brought in for the occasion. The following Sunday, November 14th, saw a comedy of errors in Detroit where the Triangles played the Panthers to a scoreless tie. The lone Dayton highlight was a goal-line stand inside their five-yard line. Art Beckley's return of a muffed punt by Detroit for a would-be Triangle's touchdown was nullified by a penalty, as were the Triangle's only two good pass plays of the game. Fumbles and loose play were the order of the day. The weekend of November 20th and 21st saw the Triangle's playing two road games to wrap up their NFL season. That Saturday, Dayton fell to the eventual league champion Frankfurt Yellow Jackets 35 to nothing. Frankfurt rolled behind three rushing touchdowns from Ben Jones. Then the Triangles hopped a train for Hartford, Connecticut. There on Sunday, they lost 16 to nothing. The score could have been much more lopsided as the Triangles played with their backs to the goal line for much of the contest. Dayton finished the 1926 season victorious in a mud-drenched non-league game on November 28th, 3 to nothing over the Ashland Armcos. Abbott's 35-yard field goal was the only score of the day. The triangles wound up with an NFL mark of 1-4-1. Following the season, Gene Mayle announced his retirement to focus his full attention on his legal practice. Stork and Riddell's trial balloon had crashed, and the team relied increasingly on non-league contests to earn extra money. If the Dayton Triangles were to survive much longer, they would have to come up with new ideas to pique fan interest. Next time, one more chance for the hometown team. Triangles. The Life and Times of an NFL Original Team, written and produced by Bruce Edwards Smith. Copyright 2019. All rights reserved. For more episodes and bonus content, check out daytontrianglespodcast.com.